Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And so we hear today people say this, and if you're a parent and you haven't heard this, I guess your child can't talk yet, but this is what you will hear throughout life. I do not want anyone telling me what to do. Is a balanced life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr. Corbett is in a 10-part series titled Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Tonight, he looks at who or what we are worshipping and do we know real freedom? His topic tonight is the third in the series, bowing down when you should be standing up. Maybe this isn't what you'd expected when you set off for church this morning. And I hope between now and when we're done, something else happens that you weren't expecting either. So let's pray. Father, we, we now want to hear from you. We, we want you to peel back the curtains of, our, of the doors of our heart, the windows of our heart, and take a look and even open that window, open that door and come in and shine a light where we have not wanted anyone to see. And Lord, that thing that we've tried to hide, that thing we've put in that dark corner, that thing that we don't want anyone to know about right now, Lord, you want to come in and perhaps there are squatters in our heart or life that shouldn't be there. And I pray in this moment you would do a work where you remove those things that have gripped us. And today I pray that people would be set free as a result of hearing what you have to say to them. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third instalment, and I just want to set this up in a moment, but this is called Bowing Down When You Should Be Standing Up. And hopefully this will make sense in a moment, but it's built on this, this picture, and I want to paint a picture for you. It's a picture of a potter with his wheel, and they usually either have a motorised wheel or they use the, the foot pedal that, that spins the the wheel, and they put the wet clay on there, and as they've taken that clay, and in fact... Aaron, I feel really dumb telling you this because you're a master potter. You could probably come up here and tell us how you do it. Aaron is actually a master potter. So I just realised that now. So maybe you could just walk out for a minute while I pretend to know what I'm talking about for a moment. But that potter will take the clay and, and, and make sure there's no air bubbles in it and smash it down. And, and that process is the process that the Bible says that God works in us. Jeremiah chapter 18 God tells Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and have a look. And then God tells Jeremiah, I am the potter and people are the clay. And I work in and on and through people. And when Russell was sharing before about the offering, that God doesn't need the offering, you know, that's, that's true. In fact, God, in some respects, this is a bit of a mystery. God doesn't need our prayers either. And in both instances, prayer and giving has more to do with what's going on in our heart than what it does for God, do you understand that when we give, it's, something's, it's a reflection of our heart. When we pray, it's a reflection of our heart. When we're in church, it's not because God needs us to assemble. In, in a, I'll put an asterisk on that word need. It's, it's that we need to assemble. And so as we're looking at these, these principles, this picture of the potter working the clay, if you can imagine that clay moist and, and supple, and there it is, but imagine if that clay moved out to the outer rim of that spinning potter's wheel. You can imagine what would, it would be a disaster. And for many people, that seems to me to be how they're living their lives. 
They seem to be always off balance. They seem to be out of whack. They seem to be going from crises to crises. They seem to have one thing upset them and no sooner have they almost got over that that something else upsets them and, and they constantly are saying, why me? Why does all this happen to me? You hear people talk like that. And, and so when, when we're looking at getting life balance, this is the picture. From the day we are born, our lives are being moulded like a lump of clay on a, on a potter's wheel being fashioned into a useful piece of art. Why is it that we actually warm to art and we appeal to art? Why have we got these beautifully feminine fairy lights over my head at the moment? Because apparently Denise thinks that's a work of art, and it is. And when God is working in your life, it's not just so that you can be functional. It's not so that you can just wake up in the morning, go to work, produce widgets, do things, and that's it. God's actually, see the last part of that is he's working in you so that you become a piece of art. And what is art? An object of beauty. An object that's functional, but it's more than functional. Yes, you're a human doing, but you're also a human being. You're someone whom God wants to work beauty into. And that can only happen if your life is in balance. It can only happen if you're in the middle of the wheel that he wants you to be in. So that's the best place for the clay to be during this process. It's in the middle of the potter's wheel. And that's the only place you can find life balance. And when you're there, when the potter's hands are working into your life, it's there that even though I can imagine that clay might think this is uncomfortable, I'm being squeezed, I'm being shaped, I'm being molded. I think if we could talk to that lump of clay it would tell you, this is, this is the place where I experience peace. As clay, I am meant to be in the hands of the potter in the middle of the wheel. And I think for us, we are meant to be in the middle of his wheel as he shapes us. And yet, in that Jeremiah 18 passage, God asks Jeremiah, can the clay... <laughs> Say to the potter, I don't need you. Can the clay say to the potter, don't shape me, don't you put your hands on me, I'll be quite all right all by myself? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course not. And this is, if we were to look at the, the overall message of Scripture, we would see this. In the very foundation of Scripture, it tells us this in, Jer in uh, Genesis chapter 3. That although our very first parents, Adam and Eve, were created to be moulded and shaped by God throughout their lives and they were to live morally pure lives and have morally pure children who would have morally pure children and, and so on and so on, where we would only ever experience love and peace and joy with God, with each other, with ourselves, something happened and what happened was a lie, a falsehood entered into the hearts and minds of mankind. Remember, Satan comes into the garden and says to the woman, has God said, has God said, has God said you shouldn't eat of this tree? And the woman, and this is what tells me that sin enters your heart before it actually comes out in your behaviour. I think the woman's answer was the fall. 
because she lied to Satan. I don't know how many picked that up. She said to Satan, yes, God has said we shall not. And remember, she, she adds something. Not only eat, but she says we shall not. I think it's touch it. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. She added something. And from that moment, the behaviour was just fait accompli. And from then, everyone born is born with that stain that entered into mankind's hearts. That stain of rebellion. That stain that said, no, God, you are not going to shape our lives. We are going to shape our own lives. And that is called the fall. It's not the fall from grace. It was actually the fall into sin. And so we hear today people say this, and if you're a parent and you haven't heard this, I guess your child can't talk yet, but this is what you will hear throughout life. I do not want anyone telling me what to do. No one's going to, no one is going to tell me what I can or cannot do. <laughs> Man. We hear this. We hear this coming from the hearts of people. And the irony is, when I've spoken with people who have, by their own admission, made a mess of their lives, nearly all of them have said this, I wish someone had shown me. I wish someone had told me. I wish someone had helped me. And now look at my life. And so the irony is that despite the fact that it's in the human heart. Every human heart says, I don't want anyone telling me what I can and cannot do, which is why I think many people sort of shun the idea of church because it, perhaps for them their, their concept of church is that they'll come and somebody perhaps like myself will be up the front and just sort of, you can do this and you can't do this and thou shalt not and thou shalt and all the rest of it, when in fact what we're trying to do is give you a map that you can leave here with, a map, and the map has a, has a lot of things about how to do life. But one of the things, one of the really helpful things with this map that I hope we can give you today is it, it tells you where the mines are in the minefield and it will help you to avoid those mines that will hurt you. So we've all at some point craved someone wiser, smarter, bigger, stronger, to do just that, to tell us what to do. How do we do this? I have. Little children instinctively do. That's why I think God has ordained for parents to be in a child's life. What is this cry, don't tell me what to do? <laughs> don't tell me what I can and cannot do. What, what is that? I think that's a cry that we we hear from people that really is a cry for this word, freedom. Freedom. I need to explain this word because I think there's people hear this and don't really, I don't think they've thought it through. And I'll explain myself. The reason is that there's two types of freedom. One is a false freedom. And, and, a, and a, we might define a false freedom where you think you're free because you think, and this is what I'm going to tell you, it's false because it's a lie that you are free to do whatever you want. 
And some people see that as freedom. No one's going to tell me what to do. I want to be free to do whatever I want. Can you imagine the world if we were all... Can you imagine what the world would be like if we were all free in that way? Can you imagine the world? Anyone, anyone got any imagination? Yeah. T- tell me, just throw some words at me. What would the world be like if that was, if that was freedom? Chaos. Chaos. Actually, come to think of it, it is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> because isn't, isn't this world filled with people who actually think this is what freedom is? Well, chaos, what else? What are the other words? A world full of psychopaths. Correct. Very good. Excellent. There would be. One more. Anarchy. And I'm going to suggest to you that, that we live in a world where many people do actually think this is what freedom means. It's the freedom to do whatever you want. And in fact, be very careful when you're looking at how advertisers advertise their products. I saw an advert for a watch. I'm my my everyday watch. I love watches, and this is this is a really nice watch. And Kim and I got this for our twenty. We got matching watches for our twenty-fifth wedding anniversary. This is a handmade Swiss watch. It's made by Roma. They were a watch company that started in the 1800s, and you don't really care about any of that. But I just thought I'd tell you. And it's just a beautiful watch. But it's such a beautiful watch. I don't want to wear it. I don't want to wear it Monday to Saturday, and I certainly don't want it. It could be waterproof, but I don't want to find out. So I just wear it whenever I preach. That's just, by the way, just trivia. My everyday watch I'd had for the last 15 years, it, 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 it broke. Thank you. <laughs> it broke. So it, it, just, it just fell apart. It just, I just wear it every day and it gets knocked about. and all that. So I'm looking for an, another knockabout watch, but I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, if you get to know me, I'm a little bit fussy about some uh, most things so um it's got got to be a particular thing and i was and i happened to look at an ad for a watch and i'll be bloat this watch this watch will attract women this this watch will cause the sun to set behind you as you no matter where you're walking this watch will put you in a fast italian sports car this watch is amazing absolutely amazing and apparently this watch is freedom. You'll be really free if you have this watch. And, and I'm looking at this ad, I'm thinking, yeah, but what does the watch look like? <laughs> Didn't actually get to see the watch. <laughs> and there's so many products that are advertised with this keyword because there is something in the human heart that craves freedom. But I'm telling you, this isn't it. This is false freedom. So let's contrast this with the other type of freedom, true freedom. And here's why true freedom isn't that appealing. It's, you're not going to advertise a watch or a car or a soft drink with this definition of freedom because it's not about you, sorry. It's a, about something much bigger than you, so it's not going to sell anything. But here's the true defi- the definition of true freedom. It's, it's, it's the only true freedom that can empower you to do what you ought to do. And there are times when we do get angry and we don't do what we ought to do. We, we all 
in moments of weakness, do things we ought not to do. We all do it. You ever seen an open tin of Pringles and just taken one? Judging by uh, the response, I say I take that as a no. <laughs> and we, we ought, there are certain things we ought to do. This is actually a, a full philosophical term as well. They, they call it the, the ought. That we, there are certain things we ought to do. It's, a, it's an ethical principle. And true freedom gives you the power to do what you ought to do. Now, I want you to think about this. When you are truly free like this, you are under another's control. Now, at the the risk of being offended, and I did think as I was thinking this through, I, I would come to this point in my sermon and think now might be a good time to pray a prayer where you repeat after me. And the prayer might sound something like this. Dear Jesus, I will forever and always love Pastor Andrew no matter what he says. Amen. Because this is what I have observed when it comes to people who desperately need this. They have it presented to them and they recoil from it. This is what I've noticed about them. They are very, very quick to accuse other people of being control freaks. Let's move on. And I am very serious. See, we human beings will always worship the source of our freedom. And I have noticed that there are some Christians who will say to another Christian, it could be your parent, it could be your home group leader, it could be your pastor, it could be your elder, whatever it is. You're trying to control me. You're trying to control me, and I'm not going to let anyone control me. And can I tell you, you will never experience true freedom unless you do let someone, and that's a capital S, control you. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There is no higher freedom than to be a slave of Christ. Yeah, Jesus. No higher freedom. So human beings will always worship their source of freedom. And for some people, their source of freedom, they think, is me. Them. I. Ego. It's all about me. No one's going to tell me what to do. It's all about me. And ultimately, that will lead that person to worship a God made in their own image. Jesus tells the story in uh, the last part of Luke 18 tells the story of a, was it a Pharisee and a tax collector? And it says, the Pharisee went into the temple to pray. And Jesus wittingly says, the Pharisee went into the temple to pray and praying to himself, he said, and it doesn't matter what he said, we're now told who he was praying to. Jesus then goes on to say, The tax collector came in and could not even lift his face, but beat his breast and cried unto God, Be merciful unto me, a sinner. And there's the difference. We will always worship our, what we can perceive to be our, our true source of freedom. For some people, it could be a relationship they're in. It could be, and it, it could be the idea of getting married, having a a spouse is, is what you th- at last, this, this person will meet my need. At last, I will be truly, I will have 
freedom if I marry this person and they become the object of worship. It could be, you insert whatever it is, but, but invariably, whatever your source of freedom is what you'll worship. And can I tell you the irony in that is worship means surrender. Worship means surrender. When we are in church and we are singing, which is a, an ingenious thing for God to design for his people to worship him because it involves the head, it involves the heart and involves the body because we worship, we express our worship. For many of us, we lift our hands, which is clearly an expression of surrender. When a, when a, not that I've experienced it and I hope I never do and I hope you never do, but, but if a robber, an armed robber comes into a bank and points the gun at you, the first impulse is probably going to be to put your hands up, which is an act of surrender. So when we're in church and there's a, an impulsive thing that says, oh God, I worship you, hands up. The apostle writing, in, uh, writing to Timothy says, let all men everywhere lifting up holy hands unto God. In other words, men surrender to God. Surrender to God. The psalmists say it over and over and over, I will lift my hands to you. It's an act of surrender. When we worship, we are surrendering. How we do it is less important than the fact that we're doing it. And the very thing that gives you freedom is the very source. That, that source is the very thing you worship. False freedom leads to false worship. You know, the, the, I think I've mentioned this before. There was a lady who didn't come to this church, but she came to a church and she was a little bit hard to please and a little bit prickly. And at the end of the service, she, she said to the pastor as the pastor was at the door and she was going out and he was, he was greeting her. She said, Pastor, I did not like the worship one little bit this morning. Not one little bit. And the pastor said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Somehow we've made a mistake because you obviously thought it was about you. And it's not. It doesn't matter whether, oh, I really liked the worship this morning. I don't care. Sorry, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Well, I kind of do. But I, I really, actually, I, I don't because it's not whether you like it or enjoy it. It's whether you surrendered in the midst of it to God. False freedom leads to false worship. The person who thinks that they're really free if they join a motorcycle gang I want, to be, I want to be free. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm going to be an individual. I'm going to be totally free. I'm going to wear the Harley leathers. I'm going to wear the Harley vest. I'm going to wear the Harley leather pants. I'm going to ride the Harley. I'm going to have the Harley belt buckle. I'm going to have the Harley helmet, just like all of my other mates, because I'm an individual. <laughs> There's um, no, no Harley riders here this morning, is there? The, the point is, if you think, and I, th and I actually think Harley Davidson, one of their ads is uh, freedom or something like that. It's, I'm sorry. Freedom does not come from a Harley Davidson, said Andrew, from the safety of being behind this metal pulpit. <laughs> false freedom leads to false worship, which leads to deeper falsehood. It leads to deeper falsehood. Let's contrast that with true freedom. True freedom leads to true worship. And you know when Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in 
truth. And can I suggest to you that the truth is, if he's your source of freedom, in other words, he's the one who tells you what you can and cannot do, and you are really cool with that. He's the one who tells you what's right and wrong, and you respect that. He's the one who tells you what's good or bad, and you love him for that. He's the one who tells you what is wise or what is foolish, and you respect him for that. If you are living like that, you are free to worship in truth. And that means that when he says, it's not about whether you impress anyone else, and didn't Jesus say that? The Pharisees liked to go around the streets with a trumpeter. <laughs> what they did. And Jesus says, don't go around with a trumpeter. I mean, just generally, you don't even need a Jesus verse to tell you that. That's just, that was really dumb to go around with a trumpeter. But that's what Jesus said, don't. Don't do it, as he said, to, to look like you're bigger than you actually are in the eyes of others. You see, if you're here and, and you're going, I'm not going to lift my hands, but what would people think of me? Who cares what people think of you? God's looking at your heart. You know how he can see your heart? But what you do with your body. <sighs> Didn't David worship in a way that his wife, Michael, said, you embarrassed me today? The way you were worshipping embarrassed me. And David said, I wasn't worshipping you, sweetie. That's in the Hebrew. It's a fine, it's a very rare text, but I was worshipping God. And if you think I embarrassed you by doing that, you ain't seen nothing yet. I am going to love him with all my heart. And he was dancing with what I remember. David was dancing and worshipping like that. And he didn't care. True freedom leads to true worship, and when you do that, it leads us into deeper. It leads us deeper into the truth, and you begin to hunger and thirst for the truth, and you begin to have ideas that are false, shaped and changed and challenged so that you come closer into the truth. You see, in your heart right now, there is a throne, and I remember the four spiritual laws tracks that we used to hand out. We used to draw a picture of a circle and we'd put a chair, that was, that was the throne and that circles your heart and in your heart there is a throne and there is someone, something on that throne. Who is it or what is it? And as we read through the New Testament, we read the Apostle Paul say that there are many gods, not because there are, but because people worship them and to them that therefore becomes their God. And the Apostle actually says in one of his epistles, that for some people, their God is their belly. And this is, a, this is a huge challenge today, I think. What's on the throne of your life? What is on the throne of your life? Because whatever it is, is your God. And whatever it is, it will preoccupy you. Does anyone remember that moment where you knew you were in love with the person you're now married to or about to marry? Remember that moment? Because when you're in love... You're preoccupied with that person. You're preoccupied. You, you talk about that. And when God is on your heart, you're preoccupied with him. Or it doesn't have to be him. When, when the Geelong Football Club is the centre of your world, you'll worship that. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It will preoccupy us. It will receive our time. Our talent and our treasure will pour into it. I'm not saying you worship Amanda, by the way. But in one sense, the old language of a wedding 
we, we used to have a couple say, with my body, I the worship. And remember what worship means? Surrender. I surrender. And it will determine how we talk, how we treat others, how we make our decisions, and how we identify ourselves. This is really important because whoever or whatever your God is will very quickly become obvious to others. Very quickly. You see, whatever your God is or whoever your God is, it will be your source of comfort. When times get tough, you will always turn to your God. Always. And for some people, their God comes out of a bottle. For some people, their God, and it pains me to say this, comes out of a crispy cream carton. <laughs> Tony Boyle brought around six crispy creams once on his way back through Melbourne Airport, turned up at our door because he knows we're kind of a little bit, little bit partial to crispy creams. They are not on the throne of my heart, let me tell you, not, on, not at all. But Tony brought six crispy creams. We've never bought six crispy creams in our lives, but brought six Krispy Kremes to the door and we said, oh, how cute, only six. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but whatever is your God, that's where you'll look to for comfort. Whatever is your God is what you will look to for your security, that, that thing that will tell you it's going to be okay. It's all going to work out as if a bottle could ever do that, as if a needle could do that, as if a pill could do that, as if a bed could do that, as if another person could do that. And yet sometimes that's what we look to for our security and our comfort. And then finally this third thing, you can tell, it's obvious, you can tell someone's God because it's how they identify themselves. And, and I think we are living in an age when people have got this aspect, just this alone, so whacked. It's, it, 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 it's amazing. I have never introduced myself, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jika, have I? Just stand up for a moment. I'm just going to introduce myself to you, Jika. Jika, I'm Andrew Corbett. I'm heterosexual. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> and you're going... Oh, now why did he tell me that? <laughs> because that's not my primary identity. I don't want to raise any doubts in anyone's minds, by the way, but it's not my primary identity. Because after a while, this is what I have found. Uh, I might be playing tennis. In fact, I was playing tennis once when someone uh, realised who I was and they yelled out as I was playing tennis, Are you Andrew Corbett? And yeah, well, that depends who's after. <laughs> I said, yeah. The Andrew Corbett. Well, well, I don't know about the Andrew Corbett. Now I'm really in trouble. Like, is this a debt collector or who is this person? So, the pastor of the Lagana Church. And I think, and, and then you do the little flashback. Did I throw my racket? Did I swear? Did I do something I shouldn't have done? Did I give a false line call? What have I done here? And I, and I went through that list very quickly. And I thought, no, nah, I think I'm okay today. I think I'm okay. I said, yeah, I'm the pastor of the church. And that, for them, became a part of my identity. 
But for most people, my identity is, you're that religious bloke, aren't you? Well, if you mean I'm the one who, who follows Christ, then yeah, you're right, I am. And that's my identity because that's, he's my God. And, and you've probably found that too, that your God becomes your source of identity. And for many people, they've got behaviour or preference or attraction confused as being their identity, and that's not right. So I want to bring this to a close. I want to, tell you, uh, I want to give this and tell you a little story, then we're done. To be truly free, you must bow to your true master. And that's why I'm saying too many people are bowing when they should be standing. They're bowing to the wrong things. I want to tell you the story of a 14-year-old boy. A 14-year-old boy who, whose grandfather was a minister of religion. And he, as a 14-year-old boy, had little to no interest in religion. He one day set off. Uh, this is a long time ago, and as he set off, a snow blizzard uh, came in, and he was on his way to his grandfather's church, just out of respect to hear his grandfather. And, and this snow blizzard became a snow drift, and, and he couldn't, on foot, get through to where he had to, to go through, and he thought, now what do I do? And he, and he didn't want to let his grandfather down, but he couldn't get to his grandfather's church, and so... It, the snowdrift meant that he, that he had to just go into this seemingly random little weatherboard church and it was a, a Methodist church and, and he went in there and there was only about half a dozen people in there and the preacher whom they were waiting on could not get through because of the snowdrift. And as he sat there, 14 years of age, sat there in the church, he thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? I've never been here before, I don't know these people, now they haven't got a preacher. And so one of the elders got up and apologised and took his Bible, apologised and said, I'm sorry, I'm not a preacher. I've never preached in my life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to preach, but I was reading something this morning, opened his Bible up to Isaiah 45 and verse 22 and read this text, and I'll put it on the screen for you. And this is the text that he then preached on for about 10 minutes and then appealed to everyone present to do what the verse instructed them to do. Look to me, in the old King James, look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And the point there is that whatever has preoccupied you, whatever has captured your imagination, whatever you look to for your comfort, whatever you look to for your security, whatever you look to for your identity is your God. And God says, there is no other, so look to me. And as this 14-year-old boy by the name of Charles Spurgeon heard that, the lights went on. 14 years of age. And this preacher, who'd never preached before and apparently never preached again after this, he said, if you are wanting to be saved and made right with God, make him your God by simply looking to him. You don't have to come to him. You don't have to walk to him. You don't have to run to him. There's nothing you can do. He's standing right there. Just look. Look to him to save you from your sin. Look to him to save you from your past. Look to him to save you from your mistakes. Look to him to be saved. And this 14-year-old boy by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, is that it? Is that all I have to do? 
He thought you had to be religious. He thought you had to do all these things. And this preacher, taking a verse from the Bible, showed him, no, you just have to look to the Saviour. Take the first step. And he did. He did. And he became known as the Prince of Preachers. When Tasmania was founded with Baptist churches all across our island, something like nine out of the first 11 Baptist churches were pastored by men that Charles Spurgeon trained and sent to Tasmania. We owe this man a debt. And that debt began when he got that verse. And perhaps you're here today and you know God's not on the throne of your heart. Perhaps you're here today and you haven't looked to him. I want to invite you to do that right now. Can we pray, please? Let's pray. Father, there are many things we can bow down to in this life which lie to us. They lie to us that if you do, you can have freedom. But Lord, you're the only one who declares, look to me and you'll be saved. Look to me and you'll be free. And so now, Lord, I ask that you would work in the hearts of every person here right now, that they might indeed look to you to be saved. That, Father, it's not a matter of being religious and may they come to know that it's not a matter of doing or being or anything but looking. Jesus, I look to you. And so now, Lord, I pray that in this moment they might look to you for forgiveness of sin, for a fresh start, for a brand new life, and that you might be the God who reigns on the throne of their heart. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, which means let it be. Where do you go for your comfort, your security and your identity? Are you bowing to the true master? More from Dr. Corbett next week when his topic is being in a hole may make you holy, but it does not make you wholly holy. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life, Part 3, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.